You're listening to the Brooklyn USA podcast, an occasional audio love letter from Brooklyn to the world. Each episode of our show hides in a different corner of life in Brooklyn and seeks the stories, sounds, and scenery of the people and places that make it home. And we've been home for months now, listening to and telling stories from the intersection of corruption and contagion, a corner we've been calling 1920. We made this episode two weeks ago and then put last week's episode out first instead. And so this week's episode is from May 29th, although today it's June 14th, and tomorrow, who knows. The namesake of one of the most expensive private schools in all of New York City famously deemed education the great equalizer. And like all American dreams, the democratizing potential of the public school system has all but dried up, deferred by the socioeconomic and racial inequity that define and infect every system in the nation. In a perfect world, you'd go to school to learn, to make friends, to eat breakfast, to eat lunch, to be looked after, counted, to explore, to grow. But like all the symptoms of this insidious disease, the ability to survive citywide school closure is largely shaped by which version of the city you live in. And now, in a moment that gaps New Yorkers farther and farther apart from each other, the chasm between what some kids can achieve and others are forbidden, mostly by design, is exigent, loud, and as long as a school day. Because school these days looks nothing like it used to. It's working from home, working remotely, working overtime, and not working for some. It's online if you're connected, on an iPad if you're lucky. No more pencils, no more books, no more teachers' thoughtful looks. And nobody knows yet what it'll look like in the fall. But before school's out for summer, out forever, out completely, this week we're getting a higher education. First, we imagine the school of the future and wonder if we can even afford it. Next, we're told some concrete stories over the ether of the internet. Then, we congratulate the class of 2020 in the style of COVID-19. Next, we find out all that was lost when the caps and gowns stayed home. Then, we spend a semester abroad to see if things are better on the other side. Next, we finish our first year of college, which didn't go quite as expected. Then, we log back into high school, but it's nothing like we remember. Next, we check our messages, and finally, the weather. And after graduation, as we go on, we remember all the times we had together. And as our lives change, come whatever, we'll still be friends forever in Brooklyn, USA. We all look forward to things opening back up, our public schools included, but only when there are protocols in place to protect the health and safety of educators, students, staff, and the families they go home to. We're the United Federation of Teachers. At the end of May, New York City Schools Chancellor Richard Carranza said there's a 50-50 chance that public schools will reopen in fall 2020. Coin toss odds for the city's one million students to return to class. But what will those schools be like? And will they be fully funded? I asked Jose Jimenez, an elementary school principal and PhD candidate in urban education for some answers. Educators were suddenly thrown into reimagining what teaching and learning is in a matter of days. This wasn't an easy task. 
No one was really prepared for it. I think this will incite maybe more preparation for the future, which will be needed. Our kids gonna have to wear masks when they come back to school. Yes. Are you I still gonna have assemblies like regular and talent shows when kids go back to school? I think I would move to having an assembly virtually in their classrooms, like on their smart boards, Got and it. they can still talk and interact, but it's yeah. being done virtually. Okay, is gym class just over? We happen to have a 5,500 square foot gym, which is unheard of. So it is possible in my school, but that's not the case for every school. So, so I, I, that was a yes. This is the short that's answer. A yes for my, that's a yes <laughs> for my school. <laughs> so there will be gym. What about the lunchroom? Are lunch ladies coming back? Uh, yes, but they have been there the whole time. The school food employees have been in schools. We have so many feeding sites. They've been unrecognized in, in some ways. They are essential workers. They have been physically there preparing meals to go, feeding not just students, but also the communities. So Purell or hand washing in classrooms? Our school has a sink in every single classroom. That's not the case for every school in New York City. And so I think sanitizer is definitely going to also need to be there. Are field trips a thing of the past? Um, that's such a good question because it's such a, an essential part of learning. I've seen teachers go on virtual field trips. You know, a lot of museums have opened up. Uh, yeah, not, not This is same. me giving a thumbs down to our uh, <laughs> listeners out there in Radio Land. Virtual field trip, boo. Not at all the same. You know, we know when you're learning by seeing, hearing, smelling. When you're in a place, you, you sort of learn more holistically. But I, I would suspect that spaces that can't provide ample room that otherwise we would have gone to, I think would not be able to happen. I think there are some that still would be able to happen though. Okay. More intentional field trips. Short answers to the long-term realities facing Brooklyn schools, but readjusting to the physical environment post-pandemic will be a learning curve for us all. When we come back, I don't know about coming back to normal, I think, there are definitely going to be setbacks just because of some scholars not having the same level of access as others. And we're going to have to assess, plan, and execute ways that we can fill those gaps. One of the things that we're going to have to do is have a lot of compassion and empathy. You know, some of our teachers, of course, have children of their own. They're doing remote learning, they're teaching. Many have lost relatives and faced hardships. And we're gonna face students that have that plus a lot more. It's painful. There are high school seniors that I've, that I've heard from that received some college decisions and they don't even care because they're caring for a loved one that's sick. This is New York City Councilmember Mark Traeger, chair of the Committee on Education and former teacher at New Utrecht High School. One student got accepted into Columbia and said he doesn't even care because his grandma is sick and he wants to make sure that she's okay. You know, senior prom, graduation, that's gone for them. It's just, it's such a loss for our kids. 
some communities have been hit harder. Some of those folks have been affected a lot more than others. And we're also living in times where the inequities that our current school system is trying to disrupt have just become even more blatantly obvious. You had students before this pandemic that were already shortchanged, that were already traumatized. This crisis has deepened that divide. It has greatly exacerbated inequity. Um, We have kids who only received tablets within the last week. So you have students who have lost about two months of instruction that they're never going to get back. Very hard to catch up. Uh, You have kids who are falling farther and farther behind. I've seen a mix of engagement from students. And when you scroll down and you look at who is not engaging in the same way, it's hard to separate the reality that where their family is is living, the income that is in the household, the race that they identify with, you know, a lot of status issues become more real. In New York City, we have over 110,000 students who are homeless. Many of them live in shelters. That requires additional support. You have some schools in Park Slope and Upper West Side that raise, you know, a million dollars or more to, to supplement what the school provides with PTA money. And meanwhile, there's a school in Coney Island that will start a GoFundMe page for basic supplies. There's been inequity throughout the school system. This is nothing new, but hasn't been talked about enough. You know, New York State owes New York City a lot of money. There's the Alliance for Educational Justice, a parent-led organization that um, our school has worked with. They've done protests outside of Tweed and the City Hall, and now we're about to face budget cuts in education. Our state forecast will project, without any federal funds, cutting schools 20%, local governments 20%, and hospitals 20%. We, uh, we are absolutely looking at keeping the cuts as far away from schools as possible. Uh, we have decimated central budgets. We have frozen hiring. We have reduced professional development. Uh, we are cutting everywhere we can cut centrally, but we are at the bone. And that's why, for the first time, schools are feeling some of the sting of these cuts. Uh, it breaks my heart as an educator Uh, that that these cuts are so deep, they are now starting to affect our schools. The executive budget I'm presenting today was built for this moment in history and a moment unlike any other, literally. Things that might have been a priority, you know, two months ago, three months ago, can't be a priority right now. Uh, Things that we would love to focus on in peacetime, we don't get to focus on in wartime, and this, in effect, is wartime. Uh, A budget is a statement of values, Our values are clear. Thank you very much, everyone. God bless you all. The preliminary budget was proposed before the coronavirus really hit New York City. And so then the executive budget came in the middle of what we're all going through right now. And then after the executive budget is the process where the city council negotiates with the mayor's office and, you know, other stakeholders My name is Rima Amin. I am a reporter with Chalkbeat New York, and I've been covering public schools for about a year and a half. I think, especially right now, I think the city is constantly hearing from 
educators and parents and students about what or what they should be doing with the budget, and they certainly seem to be responding to some of it. This is going to be one of the most difficult uh, budget processes that we have been a part of. This is a part of our charter-mandated responsibility to, to scrutinize and oversee the proposed education budget. I have, a, I have a saying here that, you know, those closest to the struggle must be farthest from the pain. And we need to understand that teachers, social workers, counselors, nurses, they're a part of the struggle. They must be kept farthest from the pain because they're at the front lines. That teacher, that social worker, that counselor, that nurse, that cafeteria worker, that cleaner, that assistant principal, they know the kids. They work with them every single day. And so... Yeah, we have a big fight ahead, and we're, we're, we're going to find out how children are truly prioritized in our, in our budget. The, the city has, you know, the mayor's office has, and in his proposal, spelled out where this would fall. About $100 million would directly be cut from the budgets that individual schools have, that principals and school leaders have stay over Another $43 million will come from slowing the expansion for pre-K for three-year-olds, which is one of the mayor's signature programs. And, you know, another $49 million for pausing programs that help students get to college um, and sort of provide individual counseling for middle school students. And those are just some examples, but as you probably hear, like a lot of this is related to direct to programs for students that schools directly use. The way I'm framing this budget fight ahead is that New York City is at a crossroad. If we do not address these direct school budget hits, this will not just be a loss, this budget, this will be a generational loss for children. We will lose this generation. That is what's at stake. News headlines about city budgets may seem like the usual political back and forth to most of us. But educators are keenly aware of where the rubber meets the road. I think more so now, schools are going to need social workers and guidance counselors. The city council had an initiative to have more social workers in schools. My school happened to be one of the schools that benefited from that. Now, in this COVID-19 era, is that funding going to be there? Will that still be funded? Or will I have to find a way by cutting something else to be able to fund that position? If you don't provide school districts with enough money to hire school psychologists, to hire social workers to address trauma, to hire additional teachers to reduce class size, to hire bilingual guidance counselors or counselors to better support our kids, to hire full-time nurses, then you are exacerbating inequity. How dare anyone think about advancing more pain? We intend to do a lot as we look to the fall to make sure there are really strong mental health services available in our schools to help our kids through this. In fact, Chancellor Carranza has said we're going to start some of those mental health outreach efforts even sooner to reach a lot of kids who are going through a lot right now. We are continuing to have our guidance counselors and our social workers working with students, uh, albeit it's remotely, <clears throat> but having that interaction. Part of why we've asked our teachers to be 
uh, checking on students and have a, a check-in with students, especially students, uh, finding students that have not checked in in a while is because we want to be very cognizant of what their needs are as well. In addition, uh, Deputy Chancellor uh, LaShawn Robinson and her team are continuing uh, to provide resources on our Teach Hub and Learn at Home uh, site that are guidance uh, around uh, attending to the social-emotional learning needs of students. But we're also uh, being very, very clear about how that is going to continue into the summer, into the next school year. So we have to, we know that this is a long-term commitment that we need to make to make sure that our students and our staff and our communities are being well supported. Educators have always been counselors, teachers, sometimes the only person that says I love you, you know, a lot of things. If we really want to be responsive to the current state of social-emotional issues that are arising, I think that there definitely needs to be an investment there. If you look back in history, and I'm a former history teacher, during the Great Depression, over 15 million Americans were unemployed, and where did they turn to to rebound and pick up their lives? They turned to public education. Look at World War One and World War Two, when the country turned to education to be a part of the home front effort. So in the middle of a pandemic, we're also in the middle of a massive fiscal crisis. You do not turn your back on education. This is actually the springboard that will help rebuild our society and help address some of the extraordinary trauma and pain that our communities are already experiencing. I'm Keith Kaminsky, BRICS Director of Youth Education. We're in our seventh year of the Youth Media Fellowship, which is an eight-month internship program for high school students. Together, they explore careers in arts and media, focusing on the production of our annual Concrete Stories Youth Media Festival. The fellows are in charge of the process from start to finish. They set a mission statement, produce marketing materials, and shoot a promo video. They collect submissions, curate the festival, decide on awards, and then they plan the event. So it's really the youth voices at the center of it. It's for youth by youth. So traditionally, Concrete Stories is a live in-person screening event, but this year we had to pivot quickly to both continuing the fellowship virtually, but also planning a virtual event. This wasn't easy, but the fellows stayed focused, and it's a real credit to their commitment and creativity. And at the same time, our team has continued remote programming with over 30 schools and community centers. It's been a really challenging transition uh, for everyone, but it's also been exciting at the same time. And so we're hoping that the creative work that we're able to do with young people right now can be an outlet for them and a way that can possibly help them get through this time. So this year's Concrete Stories has selected a variety of works originating from youth filmmakers all throughout New York City. And tonight was made possible thanks to these young media makers. Nine films were reviewed and chosen by ourselves along with other youth media fellows to be part of this year's Concrete Stories. 
The Brick Youth Media Fellowship is a weekly program that was created to organize a festival that elevates the voices of youth. All right, so now this is like the time where everybody gets super amped up because I'm about to say the first award. All right, so the award for best editing goes to Ocean's View. Yo, man, you hurting me, man. I ain't do nothing. Yo, I can explain about that. Yo. Fear grips me. My goals, my dreams. Abandoned. Dark. I don't know where you are. This cell burns cold. Time is a river flowing backwards. At moments, a stagnant pond. I hold my breath. I'm pulled down deep. Will the surface ever appear? What did you expect in terms of audience reaction towards your film? Well, when we were talking about the film, we really wanted to represent Black people and their stories. And uh, one of our group members, uh, Christian, he had a personal experience with police brutality. And we really wanted just to capture that so that people can understand what Black people go through in -hmm. their day-to-day life and kind of like the struggles of that. So that was, for us, very important. We wanted to capture emotion. And then the award for the best storytelling goes to Broken. Usted no anda corto y lo sabe. Hágame caso. Ya te dije, negociaré con tu papá, no con ustedes. Dependemos de mi papá. Necesitamos el dinero y usted lo sabe. What did you expect in terms of audience reaction towards your film? I was kind of nervous because I didn't know if the reaction from the audience was going to be positive or not. I know that my film is not, I think it's kind of like, it's not rated R, but I think that it's uh, talking about like sexual harassment. At the same time, I also got a lot of positive feedback that just kept motivating me to keep doing this kind of film. Yeah, yeah. I thought it brought a good sense of what happens to immigrants and Yeah, I could certainly relate to that being Puerto Rican, so it's pretty cool. Thank you. And for the Concrete Stories Award, we have decided to choose a film that best represents the mission statement of this festival. We think this film displays an authentic story that best represents the voices of our generation. And the Concrete Story Award goes to Invasion of the Culture Snatchers. I don't know if I could call this place the hood anymore. Of course you could still call it the hood. Jay-Z grew up right around here, I'll have you know. (laughs) I think me and my cast, we just pretty much wanted to tell more of a comedic approach to justification and like, I guess, stuff regarding hipsters because 
when you look at the news and like, you know, see incidents, you know, like with um, the Karen thing that's going on recently, mm-hmm. or just like na- neighborhoods changing and not having access to certain things, like it's always depressing, but we just wanted to like make it more of a comedic thing because it's kind of absurd if you really think about it. And last but surely not least, you guys have chosen the final award. All right, so the award for viewers choice award, uh, that said, that was said weird, goes to, do you want to play with me? Yay. process behind your film's concept and story and what was the spark of inspiration that inspired this idea well i um danny do you want to go or i think you're muted okay okay so we all added on to each other's ideas and then that all built up to make this story and we felt like this showed a message about bullying and we feel like it it shows a good message for people who have been bullied or are bullies so that they they stop doing this and we could have like a better environment. I wanted to really congratulate just all of our ability to adapt to this new normal that everyone's talking about and um, with this virus going around and us not necessarily always being able to be next to each other, it's really cool to see how the directors and everyone who's involved in creating their film were able to still remain creative. All of these films really cool and I just like, it gave me inspiration to continue keep filming no matter what. And it's just that all of these were heartfelt messages that we're still like relevant today, which is sad, but it really shows the impact that you could do for the rest of the world. And just keep filming because you guys are great. You can find out more about Brick's Youth Media Education Fellowship at brickartsmedia.org. And stay tuned to the Brick Brooklyn YouTube page for footage of the full award ceremony, including all of the student films. Congratulations, class of 2020. Good afternoon and welcome parents, guardians, families, guests, and graduates to our virtual commencement ceremony. Hello seniors in the class of 2020. It's truly an honor to talk to you as you conclude your high school careers. While we are disappointed that we can't be together to celebrate your achievements, we are together virtually to pay tribute to you and your accomplishments. Welcome to your virtual graduation. We're all very aware that this is different. While this is obviously not a typical high school graduation, and the past few months have been dramatically different from what we would consider normal, we've made it through this traumatic experience and we will continue to fire for what we want no matter the obstacle. Although we aren't all together at this time, we're spiritually walking at stage together. Our time has come and this is not the end of it. Congratulations, you did it! I know it hasn't been easy. With the coronavirus quarantine, it has been an extra challenge to complete school assignments. 
I know some of you have had to take care of younger siblings while your parents worked. I know some have had challenges with housing, food insecurity, and healthcare accessibility. And despite these challenges, now you are here, about to receive your diplomas. Congratulations, class of 2020. Your senior year has probably not been what you expected, but that's all right. Don't fret. You guys are tough. You guys are creative. Find a way to celebrate that's special and meaningful for those who are around you that you can celebrate with. We've all worked really hard to get here, and as we move on to bigger things with our lives, we can take a moment for ourselves and enjoy something. What a crazy end to our high school years. I never thought we would be having a virtual graduation. When they first announced we would be finishing school online, I didn't think it would work. However, despite the inconvenience of switching to online school, we rose to the challenge and finished the race, and I am so proud of all of you. Congratulations, class of 2020. What a weird time we live in. I mean, like, WTF is going on. <laughs> this is one heck of a challenging time to be graduating and just to be alive, but we are alive. This is your future. You will determine the new dogmas required for success. Although you're entering a very different world from the one you expected, it's a world that needs you. We don't need magic to make changes in this world. We carry all the power we need inside ourselves to be the difference and give back to the community that has given us so much. As time passed, we made many memories from different trends that went around each other. From the mannequin challenge, Andy's coming, backpack challenge, dance battles, games, Edwards A's winning the rival football trophy from Travis back, basketball games, painting the walk, and more. This pandemic has made us have more empathy, enjoy family and friend connections, be inspired by more creative activities like TikTok dances, and being able to express yourself through your love of paint, journaling, or going for a run. We learn to enjoy the little things. High school tends to be an overly romanticized concept where it's all supposed to be filled with good memories. However, the reality of it all is that there are going to be bumps in the road. Many years ago, I played point guard in basketball, and you learn early on that you never pick up your dribble unless you know where you are going to pass the ball or take the shot. And when COVID-19 hit, we were faced with a giant defender that we could not see around. During this deadly virus, when our world leaders struggle to know how to react, we, the class of 2020, or the class of COVID-19, as some are calling it, will be the ones to make a difference during all of this. Today, we must remember that we will not be stuck in complacency or defeat because we are the children born in the wake of the 9-11 tragedies who became fearless graduates during a global pandemic. Nothing will keep us down. We, the class of 2020, have been faced with adversity since birth. We arrived either during or upon the aftermath of 9-11. I myself was born within 24 hours of that fateful day. And now we are being launched into adulthood amidst a world pandemic. But no matter the adversity, through rough times, leaders rise. I mean, we've survived open lunch closing, Corona ending our senior year early, and four years of blood, sweat, and tears. We're basically invincible if you ask me. But we must have perseverance. We must keep going and look to our future and know that we all have bright, incredible futures in our next chapter of life. The more people tell you it's not possible, that it can't be done, the more you should be absolutely determined to prove them wrong. Treat the word impossible as nothing more than motivation. 
I'd like to encourage all of you at these times of disaster, don't give up just yet. There is and will always be light at the end of every tunnel. High school may be over now, but we all get to make more memories and take our next step into our bright futures. We all have our own book of life that has not yet been written, and every day it passes is another page we write in ourselves. Luckily, we have been given all the paper and ink we need to write our own stories. With the love and support of our families, friends, and fellow graduates, our stories will become bestsellers. We are now passing the baton to our future self. We are passing to our future self. We are pitching to our future self. We are bowling to our future self. We are going to debate with our future self. We are going to serve to our future self. We are going to swing to our future self. But through it all, trust the process. Change is inevitable, but growth is intentional. Be prepared to grow alongside the most amazing group of humans you'll ever have a chance to meet. And if so we happen to see each other in some mall or grocery store, don't be shy, say hi. In closing, I share with you from Hamlet. I'd like to share an excerpt from the book Becoming from Michelle Obama. As Charles Dickens put it, In the words and spirit of the inspirational Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was the best of times. What a piece of work is a man. If you can't fly, then run. How noble in reason. There is power in allowing yourself to be known and heard and owning your unique story and using your authentic voice. If you can't run, then walk. How infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable. And there's grace in being willing to know and hear others. If you can't walk, then crawl. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. But whatever you do, the beauty of the world, it was the worst of times. The paragon of animals. You have to keep moving. This for me is how we become. As is often said, when life gives you lemons, have another root beer. My name is Akeem Shepard, a criminal justice BA major, English minor, graduate of John Jay College 2020 for the spring semester. For the fall semester, I had gotten my graduation photos taken and stuff. That was assuming that I would have been walking across the stage at the end of the school year for the spring semester of 2020, but you know, it didn't work out as it should because of the whole quarantine situation. Coming out of senior year, completing a senior thesis exit project in whatever field or topic of your choice. And for me, that was mass shootings and state legislation. And what this focused on was if the act of a shooting would influence state laws or if like lower state restrictions had an influence on the event of a mass shooting occurrence. That was supposed to be a part of a poster for a contest with the thesis project and John Jay that we didn't get to engage in because it was canceled because of COVID-19 and having to be quarantined because of this whole situation. This has been a two-year project for me. We've been working on this since the fall semester. Within the class as well, there's a lot of classmates didn't even get to complete their thesis. You know, so they're literally getting a P or something for the class. It didn't handicap me, but it handicapped others because I had been working on mine for so long. I'm sure they've probably even collected data and maybe not even gotten to really focus that to create something. There's certain people literally started really 
focused in on a real topic for their thesis at the beginning of this semester. You know how much this must have crippled them not being able to meet with their thesis mentor advisors because they haven't really been able to get that hands-on guidance because of social distancing. It's been like that since the beginning of COVID-19. To meet with most professors, it's Zoom appointments and really talk about your thesis and create a focus on your topic. Even my thesis advisor in the beginning reference, he said, yeah, I know we're online right now, so it can be hard because I'm not in front of you. It's not really tangible, but we're going to make the best of what we had given this whole situation. It was like more of a shift because Zoom appointments not really going to help anybody as much as it should. It just robs the student of their ability to learn. Yeah, warranted it wasn't that like great, but the professors, they really did make use of what they had. I would look forward to these classes because we only met twice a week at 1050. It was like the highlight of my day, like being quarantined and indoors for three months, like incarceration. Your routine becomes like a loop. It's the same thing over and over again. So if you have the stimulus of that class being in there, that's a new topic to discuss every day with some new faces you haven't seen. Sometimes we would talk for like an hour later in class, just discussing topics that are going on right now, possible medicines that are coming out, any type of news we've heard about, the disparities that we see in communities, and really just anybody that it has affected and any personal opinions on the matter with social distancing and the way that people have been treated. I've spent five years in college working my ass off, you know, working a full-time job and doing what I needed to do and we didn't get to walk across the stage. Not only was I robbed of a graduation, but my mother was robbed of that as well because her child, her first and only son, it is a big deal to her. And I see that now because she's not going to get to experience that sense of pride with other parents as well. That's an important aspect that a lot of people, you know, was robbed of. And that goes for high school graduations as well. So that has been a really interesting learning experience for me. And, you know, I feel like I've really been able to connect more with my family, my sisters, my mom, because we've all been stuck inside and together. And I'm, I'm sure most people can relate to that. I just want to say that teachers, you matter. Essential workers, you matter. And medical workers, nurses, doctors, you're in the medical field, EMT, you matter, you know, and just keep fighting, keep doing your very best in society. My mom's a nurse at Heim Solomon Nursing Home. She has been facing this whole COVID-19 pandemic like head on. She's depressed because of it. She'd come home. She'd tell me that she's lost patients that she's grown in the past, a friendly relationship with that didn't even have COVID-19 prior to hospitals being forced to move COVID-19 infected patients to nursing homes. She goes to sleep sometimes with a mask on because she's got two little girls. She's afraid of infecting them with anything. She's very cautious about this. And uh, most nights, actually, she did, you know, just to really help out during the day. I've basically been their teacher, really, for the past three months while my parents have been at work. My 11-year-old sister, you know, with the school curriculum, they've been supplying them with a lot of work, I will say, like online from since the beginning of this. And, you know, she's been able to work through that. And 
she's been able to ask me questions because I'm educated on the topics with, for instance, like they just started this new curriculum in math algebra. And I noticed that there was an, an entire new method of doing it. You know, it was more of boxes instead of the method that we know, the long method that we know. What I'm trying to get with this here is like if a parent isn't really exposed to that or maybe, you know, has been a while since they've been out of school. Like, how is that child really supposed to learn? You know, I mean, a 20 minute Zoom meeting is really not going to do that much for a child. You need that hands on learning experience. As for the four year old, we've mostly been doing YouTube videos and English and mathematics, the two fundamentals. It's been a learning experience for myself and for the children that I'm teaching every day. While I'm trying to teach them, you know, I have my own classes to get into. So as a John Jay student, it was quite easy for me to balance the whole workload and being with my girls too during the day because really it was just a lot of typing, a lot of typing and a lot of independent research for the thesis project and for other papers as well. I had a few research proposals, a few papers and exams and stuff I had to study for and a few chapters to read. I found that I worked better at night. So with the downtime, I really got to sit down and really got to focus on that. I found that I was actually working a lot longer on schoolwork than I would on average because there was just so much free time. It was the only thing to do really. It kind of got a little hard for me towards the beginning because uh, like the first month in the quarantine because and I was getting news about family members that were sick and some were covert, some were not. You know, it, it was just a tough time for me and everything. And, you know, there were professors that were extremely lenient and still are with deadlines and like deadlines right now. It's just whenever you can get the work to me at John Jay. That's how it is for the semester. Before the end of the semester, just get me all the work. Let me have something to grade. So I really do like appreciate that. I know there was this professor that canceled her final paper and her final exam. We just had to do like a presentation through YouTube. It was a 10 minute presentation on a case we had to do research on. In the beginning of the semester, I was going to class physically and then having that move to being online. I still feel like I made the best of my situation along with other professors and students. I made the best of their situation and took whatever learning process I can get from that whole experience. When it came to really tangibly being in class and then towards the end, really with just covering the cost of my classes and everything, it was all on me. Because I remember earlier in the semester, she said, I just want you to graduate. You know, my mom, she did the best she could in the beginning. But, you know, I had to pick whatever I could up towards the end to really get myself out of it. Just me really being able to graduate college, knowing that I worked my way through school. You know, and I did everything that I was supposed to do. I felt like she really wanted to see me walk across the stage and accept my degree and all that stuff. It means something. It's symbolic. I'm not going to say it's a wedding, but that's a ceremony, a coming together of people to celebrate something extraordinary, you know, and I feel like we didn't really get to do that. I don't know. Maybe if we figure this thing out later on, it'll be nice to get a graduation. If not, that's okay. I'm looking forward to becoming a professor. That's one of my long-term goals and also a philosophical doctor in the field of criminology. And with that being said, you know, that's a, that's years and years of schooling. So there will be more graduations, but 
for right now, you know, for the people that were in school for four years with that BA degree or that, that bachelor's degree, this is the only graduation for some people. And it would have been the only graduation for me had I not planned on becoming a college professor because you need a PhD to be a professor or at least a master's to be part-time. Like had I not had aspirations, this would have been my only graduation. And so many people feel like they were robbed of their graduations. There are high school students that feel like they were robbed of their graduations. I will get to experience graduations in the future by the grace of God, I, I hope. And my mother will be there to see and feel that sense of joy that she was robbed of in 2020. That I was robbed of in 2020. And that so many was robbed of in 2020. Hi, my name is Natalia. I've been teaching for about five years now, head of department for sociology as well. I'm based in London, so I teach in a state faith school, all girls currently. Girls aged 14, 15, up until 18, 19. So I also teach health and social care. Unfortunately, I'm not one of the many who have volunteered to come in and support the essential worker children or key worker children because I have underlying health conditions and teaching from home. As a result, I'm literally spending all day teaching. Of course, it's not the same teaching online because we have many safeguarding policies that protect both the children and ourselves when communicating online. Therefore, there is very minimal interpersonal contact with the pupils. A lot of the resources that we have created ensures that families and children, students are able to get on with the work independently. However, within the subjects that I teach, we have a variety of students who have a variety of needs and different learning styles. Therefore, I have found teaching during this time a bit challenging in regards to adequately supporting the children that are in my care. We have made use of a lot of online resources and materials and there have been multiple teaching and learning agencies who have been kind enough to provide resources for free for us as teachers. So that's been really helpful. Recording some lessons, so no more than five to ten minutes, breaking down each aspect of the course. And we are preparing ourselves to essentially reteach this part of the curriculum that we've missed out on whenever we do return. I've begun running support sessions via Google Classroom as well, where it's sort of like a live seminar, if you will, but um, all cameras are off, students cannot keep their mic on, um, and essentially I'm just providing mini lectures, giving them additional resources again and slides and talking through the content that they'll be going through and giving them the opportunity to ask unlimited questions to help them get through it. Again, it's very challenging for all teachers, um, especially where our subject is 100% exam-based. Exams are cancelled this year, but for the previous year group, of course, or rather the current year 12, so the 16, 17-year-olds, they are still expected to return at some point. So, you know, they have up to six months in regards to a gap in their learning. Try to keep them motivated through that has also been quite difficult, but we try... We send lots of praise, so literally just for participating, for getting involved, we encourage them to continue asking questions and letting us know when they're unsure, when they 
feel like they're struggling. In regards to my mental health, I've tried my best to keep things as balanced as possible. I stick to my school hours. So the moment that the school day officially ends, I'm off the computer, get some fresh air, go for walks where I can, um, just do a variety of things on weekends. I try my best to not engage in any work. I am currently studying also, so I'm doing my master's in social research. So arguably that's kind of forced me to cut work off when I don't need to engage in work as well. Overall, I believe I've adjusted quite well, but I am aware of colleagues who have struggled. Of course, I do not have a young family myself, so I can only imagine what it's like being a teacher and having a young family. So having to homeschool your children as well as deliver support services virtually. Just have to see how it goes. We're still waiting to see what happens next. So who knows, this will be the new future. Hi, my name is Kyla Primus. I go to the New York City College of Technology, where I'm officially a sophomore. I'm a liberal arts and sciences major, and two weeks ago, I applied for my school's 2020 nursing program. My first semester, I, it was a pretty smooth transition. However, this semester was a completely different experience. About a week before I was supposed to take midterms for second semester, I received an email from CUNY that campuses would be closed. From that moment on, we were officially full-time online students. I feel like the transition was harder for the professors than it was for me. A lot of the professors weren't tech savvy or they had never taught an online course before. They didn't know what they were doing. There was this steep learning curve that I felt happened that never evened out. It was always new developments that were ongoing, different issues, up to the very end especially. And a lot of the times I felt this disconnect from what I was learning and the people who were supposed to be teaching me. The most helpful thing for me in this time was establishing my own schedule routine. Everybody was throwing so much work at me. It felt like there was no more structure, which is really difficult for someone who's kind of still adjusting to coming out of high school. I would get assignments sent to me at two o'clock in the morning that would be due the next day, multiple essays, 
class discussion boards, expected to respond to someone else at three o'clock in the morning. The relationship that classmates are usually able to build really suffered during this experience because at this point, everybody had their own life issues to worry about. A lot of people in my class were essential workers. Some people were just dealing with family issues, financial issues. So there was still a lot of disconnect, even when we tried to reach out to each other through group chats. In a regular traditional setting, when you have a stressor or you have a worry that isn't concerned with or it isn't getting, you can like look to the person sitting next to you or in front of you and behind you, and you can get a better understanding. There's someone who's going through the same issues. But with the virus, I'm not even communicating with my teacher on a daily basis, let alone my classmate or peer who may have children, who may have a job. And so you kind of feel like you're completely alone in the situations and the issues that you have in class. At the same time that all of this was going on in school, I had younger siblings who were out of school and my mom got pneumonia in both of her lungs. Being home, you kind of feel like you have to take initiative and because you're present, you have to make up for the people who are not there, the people who are out working. So you, I felt like I had to become more involved. I have my older brother and my siblings who have to take care of my mom. Then there's also like the younger kids that you have to look out for and make sure that the world is still turning. There are times where I would have to schedule a class or do classwork later in order to make sure that my siblings had access to their classes. You kind of still feel like you have the obligations to like the outside world where we're still waking them up at 8 a.m. and making sure that everybody has lunch at 12 and then making sure that people have dinner at a set time. You still kind of have to have that schedule even though everything else is so chaotic. So this semester I took four classes. One of them I saw my professor every single day through a video chat class setting and three of them I have not spoken to since March 11th. One of my professors we would only correspond to either receive assignments or to send assignments. The mode of checking in on people would just be to end emails with hope all is well. I don't feel like any of my professors really understood the gravity of the situation. This pandemic really revealed how bad professors are communicating with students, especially in the early days. They would continue to throw this work at us and it was only when a whole group of us would get together and say, hey, People have jobs, people have families, people have outside obligations that you need to realize are becoming problems during everything that's happening right now. And that's when they would be like, oh, now I understand. Everybody, take your time, I'm here to help you. But it never felt like we were given that help. I was teaching myself how to do things. There's only so much that you can learn from someone sending you a Word document or a video when you don't know a subject, when you're going to college to learn about something that you've never been introduced to. I will say that my English professor was very accommodating during this time. She understood the issue of technology. Not everybody had access to laptops or tablets at the time. Not everybody could show up consistently to a two and a half hour session when they had obligations at home. It continued to feel like I was my own teacher and I was responsible for everything and I had obligations to them, but there was no reciprocation in that obligation to teach me. 
the most difficult part of it was not really having that consistent guidance from CUNY. I always felt like I was getting a copy and paste response rather than someone sitting down and actually listening to my concerns or someone who's actually trying to give me guidance. Getting into my school's nursing program, I had a lot of questions. And so when I would try to reach out to the nursing program about issues like only taking two nursing courses for the semester and how that would affect my financial aid or status as a full-time student, there was nobody that I could really talk to. They gave us an email address of someone who was responsible for taking the applications. And I submitted my application, not really knowing if I did everything right because I didn't have that guidance. While they responded promptly, it was never with a detailed answer or the detailed answer that I was expecting to receive. So much so to the point that I was going and asking other people around me or other classmates if they had any idea how certain things in the school worked. And so when the responses that I was receiving were just very generic, I kind of dealt with that anxiety of not knowing if I was doing everything that I needed to do, if I was gonna have to wait another semester to be admitted because I didn't send in all the paperwork. Regardless of everything that was happening, I continued to do my work. I turned my work in on time. I continued to try to create that open dialogue where if I had questions, I would reach out to them regardless of if I was going to receive a response or not. As a student, I had to take initiative and in learning things that I wasn't receiving guidance in, be it through YouTube videos or asking my older siblings for guidance even attempting to make group chats with any classmates who were open to it in order to better get an understanding and actually learn rather than just going on Google and cheating, which a lot of people were doing. When you're making steps towards something that can define your future, you want to make sure that you're doing everything right and you're going in the right direction so that you don't have to wait to be where you want to be in life. Going to school during this time or being a teacher during this time really illuminated a lot of the problems that students from different walks of life have facing them. And I hope that going forward, professors or just teachers at any grade level will begin to take that into consideration when they're teaching their students. With everything that's going on through this pandemic, as someone who wants to be a nurse in the future, I feel even more determined to go through with the career path that I've chosen. It really hasn't shaken my ideas of where I see myself in the future because I know that this is something that I want to be involved in and, and I want to help with when we get back to normal. My main concern about going forth with this and going into my program is that majority of nursing in the field is, is so hands-on and because I've been told that we're not really going to be able to go back on campuses, I don't really know if I'll be receiving the education that I should or the experience that I need to be prepared for when I do enter into my career field. I'm concerned that we'll never fully return back to the way that life used to be. We won't really be hands-on or in-person with learning or interacting with people or anything like that, and we'll just continue to be distant. During finals week, I received an email from the Chancellor of CUNY who sent me an email telling me that I would be receiving emergency financial grant under the Federal Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, which is also known as the CARES Act. The CARES Act stands for the Federal Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. It was given to students who also received financial aid, and it was funds from the U.S. Department of Education that would help address financial issues that students were facing during this time. 
they told us that we could use these funds for food, housing, technology, healthcare, childcare, or any supplies that we needed to buy for distance learning. This was basically to help out CUNY students who were going through economic hardships during this time. Because as you know, with the stimulus checks, students who were above the age of 17, but below the age of 23, or who didn't work or file taxes, were excluded from the stimulus package that the federal government was giving out. So when I got this email, it kind of felt like at least one portion of what I was going through was being acknowledged. As a student, I felt like I had all these other situations going on at the time. I graduated last year in 2019. And while I really didn't want to like participate in a lot of the senior activities because I really didn't see the point of it, I feel bad for the class of 2020 who don't really get to go through that rite of passage where they're able to enjoy their last moments before real life really hits them. I'm having to help out with my younger siblings, having to help out in my own household. And I didn't have a job prior to it, so I couldn't file for unemployment. Unemployment throughout the nation is just at an all-time high. One of the things I was really appreciative was receiving the CARES Act grant because I felt like at least the financial aspect of it had some cushion or I felt like I could contribute if I needed to. I wasn't just a burden on an already tense and uncertain situation. Was that a fish reference? That was a fish reference! <laughs> <Charlie>. <laughs> I was wondering who was going to say something. Was... That was one of the songs that uh, the cover band I was in my senior year in college. That was one of our. Yes! <laughs> what were you called? <laughs> our our uh, band name was uh, the Remedial Math Trio because there was like six of us in the band. That's <laughs> cute. Were you exclusively a fish cover band? Or did no, you no. We just, uh, yeah, we did This Must Be the Place, Talking Heads. We did a couple Talking Heads jams. Great. Um, once in a lifetime. Great. We did some like 80s, you know, just kind of just just the fun jams to get the party going. What did you play in the band? What do you play? I was drums and nice. vocals. Are there recordings? I'll, I'll, I'll treat you guys sometime. Yeah. Bust out the archives. Probably the best quality was we did like a, a set on the radio station once. Nice. Is there a picture that I'll look for a picture. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you share those, I will dig out a like 10, 15 year old hard drive and find the recordings that me and my friends used to make in college. Yes. Um, I want to hear your um what didn't you have like a senior thesis that was like a sound installation? It's so bad. Like I mean, at the time, I was so proud of it. It is like the editing is so shitty. But if I can find that, I will share. Yeah. Guys, I found a picture. Yes. <laughs> Download faster. Where is it? Yeah, this is from uh, Amherst College, hey. <laughs> uh, 2005. I didn't and... get a picture, Charlie. Yeah, same. Nothing oh my god. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> nothing showed like, up or what? You no, look so Amherst College. Holy I want to see. That's I'll try it again. This was, I think, that's probably during while playing "I Ran So Far Away" by Flock of Seagulls. I, did, I, I had the main lead vocals on that. Did, I, did that work? 
Shireen, Emily? No. No. Maybe Maybe. Slack. Oh, yeah, I can Slack it to you guys because I had to download it to see it. Um, I will dig up some Hampshire pictures, too. They're really indicative of a time and a place. Um, I wore lots of fluorescents. Amazing. <laughs> um, I would make such a good episode title. I wore, lots, I wore of lots of fluorescents. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How do I send? Coming in hot, ladies, in the slide. <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> oh, it's great. <laughs> it's really good. Is this is this you, Charlie? That's amazing. That's, That's so funny. <laughs> I like how you've matched your your second layer mm-hmm. of t-shirt to your head. Yeah, the <laughs> double t-shirt. I don't double really t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I still have the outside t-shirt. How old were you here? Uh, so that would have been that would have been uh, twenty-two. Oh, of course. Yeah, fifteen yeah, years. Sorry. I, I got lost. Where where are you looking? Oh, did you, you see the picture, Mayumi? I'll email it to you, Mayumi. We'll do a wow. this picture. Are you still a drum, Charlie? Nothing. Uh, yeah, just for fun, you know. Oh, okay, I got it. Oh, you got it, Mayumi? <laughs> so that's you? Yeah. Wow. That's Very different. <laughs> or maybe it's just a shouting. Mayumi, do you have any photos of your days in a band no in those days no. at that time there was no iphone okay i, I don't believe it <laughs> what about what about one photo exists don't have it <laughs> fair enough what did you do in the band did you play an instrument or did you sing oh no 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 singing i was always guitar very very first time at the college uh, actually, drums. <laughs> That's I did. Oh. But they say, you know, the student. So then only that. And then after that, I moved to uh, guitar. So in the long, long time, and the guitar. And then only like a couple of times, it's just like a helping to my other friend's band for piano. So that's all I get. <laughs> no singing. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I would love to see really some photographs of that. <laughs> Good times. Hello, I'm Skylar. I'm calling from my apartment in New York City, Brooklyn. Hi, my name is Shane. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Where I go to school is Edward R. Murrow, and I'm in 10th grade. Uh, I'm currently graduating, well, soon to graduate from 12th grade, so that's pretty exciting. My daily schedule is pretty basic. I usually wake up around 10, 10.30 to get the daily attendance in. I wake up in the morning, have cereal. I maybe make myself some tea and a little bit of cereal or toast. And then um, I go back into my room, to my desk, and go on to Gmail. And then I just sit down and check my emails and do whatever work there is to be done. I get distracted a lot, but I usually get my work done before the end of the day. Most of the time, once work is done and during the night, we all go on to a house party 
we also play video games together on online games and um, mostly games like Minecraft and all that, which is fun because it's building and everybody's kind of working together. It's a game that everybody gets to participate in. There are many things that are kind of applicable that we've learned in school. Our biology teacher had us write a paper about the spread of coronavirus and how each of the countries are reacting to it. You know, just positive stuff. <laughs> I read this year, 1984. The war is waged by the ruling group against its own subjects. And its object is not victory over Eurasia or East Asia, but to keep the very structure of society intact. I also read the French book La Peste, which means basically the plague. Allora apparvero i due angeli della peste. And um, I read it before the coronavirus, but I had to do a report on it after the coronavirus started coming around. So it was pretty hilarious to do the report, read what I had previously planned, and as I'm speaking, realize this is a lot like what's happening right now. In 1984, it's a very hands-on apocalypse, everybody's in it, but here, let's say it's a pandemic that is silent, you can't really see it, and you're stuck inside, so you don't really know what's going on, you, you're not really hands-on, you're just hoping you don't get it. Students, I guess, they're, they're like surviving. My classmates in the majority were kind of tired about remote learning. Um, on the meetings, no one really ever puts their camera on, which is, which is sad because like, it's 12th grade, I'm not gonna see a lot of these guys in the future, but eh, I guess a lot of the kids are camera shy, so they don't want to show their face. And the very few meetings we have, only like a fourth of the kids that should come actually do. I have uh, pretty strict parents, so they make sure that I worked throughout the day. But I know for many children around my school, their parents aren't as hands-on. They're probably at work outside because they don't have a stay-at-home job. They don't have that possibility. And for many kids, if they don't have a person there to help them, they won't be able to do the work or they just won't do the work. So, so it's, it's kind of hard. My teachers are worried of having to fail some kids and they, they just don't know what the kids are doing and there's no way that they can access them. School next year, I'm gonna hope it's fun. It's gonna be like a great reunion. Um, I'm quite excited for it because I, I miss my friends and I miss some of my teachers and the way of learning and moving around school is much better than just sitting at a desk at home. In fall, we're hoping that the virus is gone by then, if it is or if it's not, and we're hoping to go back to a normal year. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Hey Brick, it's your girl Destiny. I'm calling in from New Jersey and I am currently a senior at Brooklyn College. And guys, let me tell you something. 
being a student right now is one of the most disheartening things ever. We're in this state of limbo where we don't know what's coming next or or what life in school is going to look like in the fall. I am a film major, so my all my tasks and all my work is completely surrounded by being around other people. Film is a collaborative effort in the idea of being with that with that many people. It's kind of scary. And who would have thought that we would feel like that? That school sounds taboo. You know what I mean? Going to work sounds taboo. But this is... I don't even want to say this is our new normal. Because I just refuse to think of this climate as being our normal. But things are changing. And I'm trying to adapt with it, you know. And I think I've done a good job so far. But when it comes to the fall and starting my thesis process, it's scary to not know what's going to happen, you know. School is very predictable in the sense of, you know, you go to this college, you're there for, you know, however many years you need to take to get this degree. But now we're in this place where the whole world has changed. Everything is different. So, of course, my senior year is not going to look like what I thought it was going to be. And that's just scary, um, but, you know, we have to adapt, <laughs> you know what I mean, we have to, and I'm going to, and I know things are going to be good, and things are going to be great, uh, I try not to sit in my sadness for too long, because it's just not healthy, not for me, not for you guys, so I hope you guys are not doing that, but what I will say, to be a little bit more positive, I am so looking forward to being around people and I know that is like girl you just said you're afraid because this coronavirus but I just miss being a part of a community you know a space that is more than you being around so many other creatives and we're all creating these different things and telling these stories I miss that I miss being inspired by hearing other people tell their stories and, and seeing how they're coming up with their stories so I'm looking forward to that but I just really hope that you guys are being safe and that you are taking care of yourself mentally and physically right now with everything that's going on, the climate of the world. I mean, politically, socially, economically, we're in shambles. <laughs> and you really need to take care of yourself and listen to your body and what your body needs. Guys, like, if you want to binge that show on Netflix, binge that show. Go for a walk with your mask. You know, take care of yourself. Stay away from social media if you need that break. And you don't want to see these traumatic videos and these posts and these pictures of what's going on. But just remember that there is an entire world that is hurting with you, that is going through these things with you. And I hope that gives you comfort to know that you're not alone in your stresses. Um, But I hope you guys are being safe and, and doing what you need to do. Because that is important. That is extremely important. And I wish I had a funny joke. But (laughs) I don't have any. So until then, guys, bye. If you want to send us a message, check the show notes for a link on our handy guide on how. We're trapped in our houses waiting to hear from you. Weekend weather is gripping. Weekend weather is gripping.
Hey everyone, it's Junior Meteorologist Griff City talking about the weekend weather. Your city, Brooklyn, USA. Friday, high 84, low 61. It will be partly cloudy. Saturday, high 76, low 58. It will be sunny. Sunday, high 72, low 61. It will be partly cloudy. Weekly fun fact. Did you know that Ruby Bridges helped end segregation in schools? Thank you for listening, Brooklyn! Brooklyn USA is produced by me, Sasha Mathias. And me, Emily Bogosian. And me, Shireen Barry. And me, Charlie Hoxie. And me, Carol Palmer. And me, Ross Tuttle. And me, Mayumi Sato. With help this week from Brian Vines, Keith Kaminsky, Tyrone Copeland, Brick Radio Junior Meteorologist Griff City, Lauren Germain, Taylor Cook, Destiny Blackwell, Shane and Skylar Doran, and Mommy Tori, Bahia Leto, Jacinda Nye, Cirilla Ordinez, Marvin Monegro, Karen Tapia, myself, and Noel Doyle. And congrats again to the entire class of 2020 for getting it done under these conditions. And a special shout out to Roosevelt High School in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, North Kansas City High School in North Kansas City, Missouri, Stagg High School in Stockton, California, Port St. Lucie High School in Port St. Lucie, Florida, and Farrington High School in Honolulu, Hawaii for letting us crash their virtual celebrations. If you like what you hear, comment, like, share, and subscribe, and follow at BrickTV on Twitter and Instagram for updates. And while you're there, follow at Brick Brooklyn for updates on all the arts, music, and cultural programming we're presenting on Brick at Home. And if you want to get a higher education, check the show notes for a link to Brick's online media education portal. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org radio. between phase it's just there are no words for it we're expected to just keep living and and acting as if (laughs) this is normal but this is not normal we're going to be positive we're going to keep the energy up and we're going to hope for the best you know we've all got through the toughest days if we're here If you're breathing, (laughs) if you're hearing this, you got through the darkest times. So just keep pushing on. And I love you, and I know you love me, and I know we love us. (laughs) So, yeah. Quarantine. Quarantine Diaries.